0: This is part 1 of our sermon series commemorating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Now, 500 years ago, Martin Luther came up with three challenges to church thinking and practice. You see him here on the screen. He said sola scriptura, scripture alone. He said sola fide, faith alone. And he said, sola gratia, grace alone. Just the word is the one we're looking at. Scripture alone, just the word. In other words, don't let the church tell you what to do. We're looking at this book. They call it the Bible. This is what tells us what to do, not the church. And for us, that's easy to say, because most of us have an English-speaking copy at home that we can read. Now, that was new 500 years ago. For the first time, well, others have done it before, but he made it very popular. Luther translated the Bible into the language of the people. That's a radical new thing. We're people of the book. Our religion is based on a stack of paper and ink. We're pretty much like Jews in that regard. What we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish tradition has known that way before we did, that it's good to have a book that tells you how to live. Islam got the same concept with their Holy Quran. They know that a book can guide you. And it's very comforting that these books have been around for a long time because they hold us to standards that are beyond ourselves. We are a reading religion at least for the last 500 years. And by reading, I literally mean reading. Up until Luther's time, the Bible was only available in Latin. Now who of you all reads Latin real well? Oh, just one! They had the same problem back then. Only the guy at the front of the church could read that. How does that help? Everybody depended on the priest to interpret scripture for them because they couldn't read. And it wasn't even Latin. Even after it was translated into German or whatever the language of the place was, the average farmer still couldn't read. There were no schools. We talked about that earlier. So for people, in order to get to know God, they had to go to church, because that was the only place where they could hear and understand and receive the word of God, because only the priest could read it. That put the church in a unique position, gave it some importance, because the church was between God and the people, because the people couldn't really read what God had to say without the church in between. The church also had its own traditions. So it wasn't just the Bible and the Word. But whatever the church did also became very important. And the church had things like big cathedrals, fancy ornamented priests, traditions and things you had to do, doctrines you had to believe. And nobody really cared how they related to that book because nobody could check it. So all of a sudden, confession and absolution became sacraments. Because salvation depended on you talking to the priest and the priest granting you salvation on behalf of God. Because you couldn't reach God directly, right? And nobody really cared whether it was based on the Bible. Tradition had just as much weight as the Bible did. To this very day, even in our congregation, we have that thinking. Y'all laughed earlier during the announcements. That weather thing? We need good weather for next week's fundraiser, right? Who's in charge? Oh, the religious professional. (laughs) And y'all were laughing. As if I had a closer, more direct line to God than everybody else. Guess what? I don't. It's busy just as often as it is for me as it is for you. and I'm not closer to God. God's not closer to me. And we have our own traditions that keep us away from God's Word. That famous phrase, we've always done it that way. Those are the traditions. We don't have them canonized like the Catholics do, but we've always done it that way. Or the opposite, oh we've tried that, that has never worked. Those are traditions that we impose on ourselves that are more important than the Word of God because it's our experience, right? We know it. Some of that snuck in the newsletter last week. We announced, again, the chicken dinner. We announced desserts. And by default, desserts are made by the women. <laughs> oh! And by default, when things need to be fixed around the church, the Monday morning men fix them. Because none of our men can make good desserts and none of our women can fix things. We know that, right? <laughs> we have stupid traditions, seriously stupid traditions. Because I know our women that fix this stuff. I know our guys that make great desserts. Don't discredit them like that. The Bible, has an example, And the Bible is here to challenge our traditions, right? So this book has a story. We had that a few weeks ago with Jacob and Esau. Remember that story where Esau was really hungry and came in from the fields and his brother was cooking stew. And it was so awesome. Yes, man can cook. The Bible says so. And then there's Lydia, the first Christian in Europe. She hosted Paul and the other apostles on their missionary trip. And guess what? Lydia was her self-made millionaire back in the day. She had a cloth fabric kind of deal business there. Wasn't married or anything. She was a businesswoman, a single businesswoman who hosted the early church and financed it. Yeah, the Bible says so. So our images of men and women, please challenge them with the Bible. So, the church with all its traditions, we've always done it that way, that that's never worked. You need the priest to become a mediator between you and God because you don't have access to God like that. You can't ask for good weather yourself. You cannot read the Bible. It's all in Latin and you need the priest in between. Well, Luther came in and threw all of that out of the window by saying, sola scriptura, only scripture. Just the word, Tells us what's going on, what's right and wrong. Whatever the church does, whatever the church does, has to measure up to the Word of God. Whatever the church does, has to measure up to the Word of God. That's our standard. It has been for 500 years. No? they are not seven sacraments. There's just two. That was one of the changes of the Reformation. A sacrament is only that which Jesus told us to do and did himself. So just baptism and communion. All that other stuff that the Catholic Church added later, not in our books. But then also, on the flip side of that, my religious experience is challenged. Because I feel so holy and good and close to God in so many ways. But all of a sudden, even that, gets measured by the yardstick of this book. My religious experience has to measure up to the Word of God. My personal religious experience has to live up to this standard. Just because I feel connected to something bigger than myself while hiking or walking along the beach or seeing a beautiful sunset, those powerful spiritual experiences, just because you have them, just because you feel good about yourself, and just to feel one with the universe and all of creation, that does not mean you're actually communing with the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Father of Jesus Christ. Feeling good in nature may just be that. And just because you or a loved one made it through cancer, through tragedy or illness or addiction, or an almost-divorce, or a divorce, that doesn't mean that the healing power of God was at work there. you got to challenge that. It's not about your feeling. It's about a book. And our lives constantly change. And the church constantly changes. Now, there's a beautiful thing. A book doesn't change all that much. This book has been around since the year 300 or so. That's when the canon was compiled to tell us which books are in it and which books aren't. Now, when Luther came in, in the 1500s, he kicked out the middle section between the Testaments, what we call the Apocrypha. Catholic tradition still has them in their Bible. So we're talking this part of the Bible that we've accepted for, let's say, 500 years now. Okay, so that's how old our Bible is, 500 years. And really all it is, it's a pile of paper with a few ink stains on it. But this pile of paper has governed Western civilization for hundreds of years now. And it has changed the world because everybody can read it now. It's translated in practically every language on the planet. And even Catholics do Bible study now. They didn't used to do that. They didn't have to because they had the priest. But now Catholic congregations start Bible studies because it's such a good thing. They learn something from us. So in reality, the whole world is Lutheran now. The whole world is Lutheran. Thank God. Now Luther had a great thing going for him. Gutenberg just invented the printing press. So using the hype of social media these days, Luther did what he could do. He used the best of communication technology and got the word out, literally. Publishing the Bible in print that everybody who could read could read it. Powerful thing. A copy of the Gutenberg Bible We just saw it earlier this year in Austin. Um, UT Austin has one at display in their library over there. You can actually see the print from the 1500s, how the Bible made it out into the world. Printing was a powerful tool that works to this very day. But guess what? Print is in decline. I asked that earlier when the kids came. Who has at least finished two books this year, by show of hands? Please, two books or more. Okay, Roughly a third or so. Who actually reads a printed newspaper? About the same. That could actually be exactly the same people. Maybe you're the print people. I get my news from Twitter. I don't touch paper for my news. And TV pretty much killed the newspaper. Print is in decline. And along with reading, religious literacy is declining, too. People are not as smart as they used to be around things of religion, because it used to be that you had to go to church or ask your grandma. Or somebody who is more knowledgeable to teach you something. And then came the book. And we thought everybody would read it. But they don't. They just own Bibles. They don't use them all that much. Everybody owns a Bible. But we don't know all that much about it. Now, I'm going to test you. You know how I love to test you. And I'm going to test you on religious knowledge. So Pew Research came up with this test, just 15 little questions, and real quick, by show of hands, just to see how smart we are in terms of our religious literacy, okay? Um. Hmm. Let me work on that. Maybe I'm not that smart on my computer literacy here. try. I can do this. Yes. So we're starting our quiz. Which Bible figure is most closely associated with leading the exodus from Egypt? Throw it out. Moses. Moses. Very good. What was Mother Teresa's religion? Huh? Okay. Which of the following is not one of the Ten Commandments? Don't commit adultery. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do not steal. Keep the Sabbath holy. Ah, the golden rule. When does the Jewish Sabbath begin? Friday night. Woo-hoo. Is Ramadan the Hindu festival of lights a Jewish day of atonement or the Islamic holy month? Islamic holy. Ah. Which of the following best describes the Catholic teaching about bread and wine used in communion? They actually become the body and blood of Christ or are they symbols of body and blood? Actually... In which religion are Vishnu and Shiva central figures? Islam, Hinduism, or Taoism? Hinduism. Mm. Which Bible figure is most closely associated with remaining obedient despite suffering? Okay, you're out. What was Joseph Smith's religion? Mormon. According to rulings by the U.S. Supreme Court, is a public school teacher permitted to lead a class in prayer or not? No. According to rulings by the U.S. Supreme Court, is a public school teacher permitted to read the Bible as an example of literature or not? Yes. Well, the... course. What religion do most people in Pakistan consider themselves? Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Christian. All right. What was the name of the person whose writings and action inspired the Protestant Reformation? All right. Which of these religions aims at Nirvana, the state of being free from suffering? Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. Last one, which of these preachers participated in the period of religious activity known as the Great Awakening? Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, William Graham. Oh, it's quiet in the room. This is an American thing, so I didn't know that before. Huh? Well, if you want to go into that trap, let's go there. Okay, we scored better than 97% of the public. All right, so we're in that top bracket of 14 correct answers, uh, because obviously it was Edwards, not um, the other guy. So the last question was wrong. But look at this graph. So most people are somewhere in the middle between six and nine correct answers. All right. And I'm sure that our combined knowledge is better than our average or individual knowledge. To be honest, I mean, one of those answers you may not have gotten by yourself, but with the combined wisdom of our room here. Okay, so that's where we're at. All right. So don't feel bad about yourself. This is symptomatic of our times. A church in the, def- in the tradition of the Reformation needs to be a school first. We're an educational institution. We need to make sure that people are knowledgeable and smart in their religious experience. Attending church is like attending school. That's why traditionally Protestants didn't go to church They attended church because they registered there to learn something. Please don't go to church. Please attend church as if you get something out of it. We come here to learn. We come here to learn. And if there's a learning model that works, it's the one that is usually described as know, be, and do. In order to learn something, you've got to know it, You've got to find your identity in it and you've got to do something about it. As we look at the Bible today, I want to say three steps would be literacy, practice, and action. And the Bible is obviously part of that literacy part. So when we look at Luther's... I didn't show you the right one. Back to the wheel that we started with. When we look at Luther's great insights of the Reformation, with word, scripture alone, faith, and grace alone, today the word is about literacy. We got to know our stuff. We got to be able to read, and we got to actually read sometimes. So the next few weeks, the next couple of weeks, will be about practice and action. But today is about knowledge. Today's about knowing what's going on. Today is probably the reading track of our Christian experience. And that's what I want to challenge you to do this week. Just this week. Just this week. Just this week. I invite you to open that book every day. That's an intense seminar, I know. But there are easier ways, right? You can just subscribe to the daily texts online. You can uh, have the reading plan that we used to have out. Or you can subscribe whatever newsletter you want to that has a verse per day. Find something. Or just flip it open randomly. That works for a lot of people. Or you can even journal your reflection of what you read uh, in a meditative style. Engage that book every day this week because it's there to challenge you. And please let me know next week how that went. Let me know what you learned about yourself, about God, about the world. The Bible is an ancient book. And when they talk about goats and all that stuff and olive trees in the Valley of the Dead Sea that's so far removed from our reality when they sell their daughters into marriage, that is so far removed from our culture, from our daily living, it can challenge us in wonderful ways. When we have images like the eye of the needle with the camel, that's stuff that just expands your universe. Please grow this week, dive into this ancient book, and be challenged. What if my ways were not the highways? What if my judgments did not have the final say? What if nature didn't reveal God? What if the church were no better than the beach or mountaintop or hospital bed? They all have to measure up to this stack of paper.